Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers. Today, we're actually going to start with a little bit of serious business. Uh, The first is that I need to issue a quick schedule correction. On last week's episode, I did say we were going to be releasing every two weeks. (laughs) Uh, After we recorded that episode, in the post-episode meeting, we decided to do every week instead. Uh, That was my communication error, for which I apologize for the confusion. As you can see, this episode came out a week after the last episode. From here on out, they will be recorded a week in advance, and then they will be coming out weekly. There was some news this week. We do need feel that we need to address, at least at the start of the show, before we jump into what we're actually planning to talk about today. Uh, There's a statement that we've written out that I'm just going to read. Our focus on Star Wars television content means we need to acknowledge the news that Gina Carano will not be returning as Cara Dune for upcoming seasons of The Mandalorian. However, we will not be discussing it on this show as we do with other important TV news beyond the fact that we agree with Lucasfilm's assessment of her social media posts. This is for two reasons. First, at time of recording, there is not enough details of the production impact or logistics to meaningfully talk about. Much of what we have is speculation. And while we do normally discuss rumors and speculation, it would be irresponsible to discuss these things currently given the nature of this particular situation. Second, as two cisgendered white men, we feel our opinion should take a backseat to those of marginalized people who were directly impacted by Carano's posts. We are actively working to get some of those voices on the show to discuss these topics in a meaningful way. As such, we will be continuing our policy of focusing on the show's content and in particular writing a production during our recaps of The Mandalorian. We may acknowledge and comment on developing aspects of where Cara Dune will go from here in the future of the franchise but this in general will be our stance until further notice. And now that that serious business is out of the way, let me pick up my really pink Frappuccino. I'm trying to outdo myself on the gayness every week with what drink I pick. <laughs> yes. I'm scared of what the logical endpoint of this will be. If I, can I find the gayest drink to bring on the show? Well, I think a pink strawberry and pistachio flavored Frappuccino from Starbucks is a pretty good not just not just a special pink frappuccino but one that is specific to the store that i bought it from that is a limited limited edition one i mean you you really don't get much gayer than this frankly i i think i might have peaked this week i think it's all (laughs) here exactly before we launch into the mandalorian which Bradley is ready to talk about. He has quite a few notes on the pilot episode. Uh, I did just want to bring up real quick that something happening in the TV sphere that I thought was interesting. Uh, And that is that Lando Calrissian and L33T are going to be in a TV show together on Amazon. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover are going to be in a show that's going to be based off the film Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, so it's not a Star Wars related show, but it is a... No, but it's Amazon those show. two actors Interesting. together. together. So not L3 and Lando are actually going to end up together. They are. They are. <laughs> well, I mean, 
arguably they were together in solo it was just right complicated and the, seems to have been somewhat open that's hilarious um okay interesting i'm i'm actually somewhat excited to see that so that'll be interesting to see how that goes it's definitely something i know we'll both watch and definitely something that i know we'll probably both talk about <laughs> yes in the future they are star wars alums so maybe not necessarily something we'll devote whole episodes to but something we'll be keeping our eye on gotcha and then also it's l337 oh see i got it confused with uh (laughs) L33 or L33T, which is the way of typing the word leap that it's a play on. Right. But you're supposed to do, I think, the seven instead of the T so that it's like coded. I guess that's what they did. I did so much research preparing for this episode to make sure that all of my facts, because I know we said things wrong about the Mandalorian in episode zero of the Mandalorian recap. We called the volume the hub or the hive, something like that. Oh, so it's called the volume. It's actually the volume. And specifically, it's called uh, Stagecraft is the particular volume. So I went and I researched a whole bunch of things and then somehow I forgot the proper designation of one of the main characters in Solo. Well, we're not even talking about Solo, so I'm not mad at you. I don't think anybody else cares too much. I'm mad at myself. On this episode, we're going to take a look at The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 1, now titled Chapter 1, The Mandalorian. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, this you know, because like... they can't call it the pilot, so they had to call it something. But notice they do do it in chapters, so it's interesting. Yes. I do a joke thing with um, the BBC Netflix Dracula show that I hate with a burning mm-hmm. fiery passion where I'll, as I mentioned in conversation, gradually append things onto it. So I'll say, uh, Netflix is Dracula. And then later on, I'll say, BBC's Netflix is Dracula. And finally, it gets up to like, Stephen Moffat's, Mark Gaddis's, Netflix's, BBC's, Bram Stoker's Dracula to some ridiculous that's how I feel with these Mandalorian chapter titles. It's basically the, the way I described it. Yeah, because I literally... That's how I do uh, High School Musical, the musical, the series. You know, that's a good series, though. That's a, but that's see, that's a good example of that. Um, well, anyway, we're talking about Chapter One, The Mandalorian, where we uh, meet a Mandalorian bounty hunter who tracks a target for a well-paying, mysterious client, and that's the synopsis for you, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder. I wonder Who what's going to happen. The thing they're tracking is, I don't know this in the right. slide. Well, what's so funny about this is too, I think a lot of people, when they first talked about the Mandalorian, everybody was like, oh, is it going to be Boba Fett? Is it going to be Boba Fett? Is it going to be Boba Fett? And I was like, do you guys really want it to be Boba Fett? Like, I, I would rather them do something completely new and different, which they did, thank God. But imagine if this had been Boba Fett, like just straight up, just like, oh, nope, it's Boba Fett. I don't think it would have, I don't think I would have been as interested in it. Uh, you know, I've mentioned yeah. before that I, I'm not wild about Boba Fett as a character. And, mm-hmm. you know, if he shows up later in the series, I may have some problems with that. Right. As a creative choice. I liked that it was a guy that wasn't Boba Fett. And it was a guy that we, we didn't know anything about. Yeah, just about. some random. Just some rando. Just I like some that. Just some random. Um, just some random dude. 
interesting. Uh, so in the beginning of the episode, we actually see the new debut of the Star Wars logo. Um, so after the Lucasfilm logo airs, we get the new Star Wars logo. But funny enough, we don't get the sound or the music that comes with it. It's just a beeping. from. So it's actually diegetic sound from the episode. And then in the next episode, we get the actual music, which is weird. Yeah, and I... I remember seeing that new logo and really liking it. I still really like it because it's quick, it's yeah. effective, it covers everything. It's not 10 minutes like the Marvel logo is. Which <laughs> exactly. No, it's true been... because it does go quickly through it and it kind of highlights, kind of like how the Marvel logo does go through. Like It usually shows you like what comics of the person or the character that the story is focusing on. But with this one, it just does generic characters. So it starts with Darth Vader and it ends with Mando, which is interesting. The end of, uh, that was the original, that was the original Marvel logo was they had the comics that would flash over. Right. Now it's like this 10 oh, that's minute right. You're right. Like, victory lap. And when you go to watch WandaVision, you have to sit there like 10 minutes of, yeah. look at all these movies we made. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Pay they no show like them, they show clips from the movies them. in there instead of the comic books. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Okay, well, now we have a new Star Wars logo, which is cute. Um, and then- we finally open up on our mystery Mando man. And I do want to say right from the first shot, mm -hmm. we were talking last time about volume, the volume yes. that they use that I mistakenly called the hub. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is the volume that it's already pretty seamless. Like I saw behind the scenes, I went yeah. and did some research on the episode after I watched it again. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at photos and the volume looks incredible yeah. and it already looks incredible and looking at the shots now of even just his hand with the thing in the background it's so seamless it looks real for because uh, i mean if you watch if you ever go back and watch the gallery um which is the making of the mandalorian um you can also a good show see you can see them like in the volume and they use that photo realistic you know background which is just moving with the camera i don't know it just makes you feel like you're really there which is interesting i'm betting from an acting standpoint this probably makes it a little bit easier too if you can actually see oh, if it's not a green for screen. sure because they talked about on the prequel some of the actors have said that it was difficult because you know mm -hmm. george would say just fill this in with your imagination we're gonna right. add it later imagine the giant creatures attacking you imagine that you can yeah. see the army of droids in front of you like in this case, of course, the volume was like something that Lucas would have wanted to do, but they didn't have the right. tech for it at the time. And uh -huh. now they do. Imagine if they it's, let him redo the prequels, like with the volume. I feel like that would take away from some of their charm if the prequels yeah. were actually like good. Well, I mean, like just redoing the special effects. I don't mean like changing anything necessarily, just oh, redoing. Another, uh... So basically a special edition of the special edition of the special oh, edition. Oh Lord, more special editions. There's going to be special editions forever. But it would be special, special editions, editions with Disney oversight. Hmm. I don't know. It's just a thought. Hmm. Maybe it might be time to take a look at some of these and Maybe instead of adding stuff in like they did for the original special editions, yeah. maybe taking a few things out. Well, I think taking things out or maybe possibly just enhancing the things that they did add. Because, you know, that was George's vision. And, you know, like it or not, he added, you know, those scenes. And I just think that they're great and all, but they were constricted for the time. So just go back and fix them. Yeah. And stuff like 
people look at the visual effects in like the Phantom Menace or the Star Wars special editions now mm-hmm. and go, oh, that's ridiculous. But Lucas has always been, you know, big on the technological pioneering front. Like A New Hope, that was, even that was extremely impressive at the time, what they mm-hmm. managed to do with the models and all that work, especially for the dogfight at the end. Right. So he's always kind of wanted to push push the bounds and sometimes these things don't really work quite as well but we do we are introduced to mando the very first shot being of his hand with the tracking fob Mm -hmm. superimposed on this image as he approaches this bar i want to talk about our mando man for a second played by none other than pedro pascal how does pedro pascal (laughs) Or all of his stunt doubles. Yeah. That are, we don't know who's in the suit in any given scene. That's true. How we do never you know. manage to be sexy without showing an inch of skin? You know, that's a good question. I, I mean, I'm not the one to ask for that, but comparatively, we've only, so if you've ever watched Pedro Pascal before, he's known for um, Narcos and um, Game of Thrones. And when we've seen Game him of Thrones, in like. Tiny Show, you've never heard of it. Never probably. heard of it. Um, but when he's in Game of Thrones, you know, we see a lot of him, you know, <laughs> so it's oh, very funny, but it's I've funny how you do that. several times. It's just hilarious how he goes from, you know, not, not, he's not naked, but he's definitely more open in his clothing. Um, yeah, open is a good way to describe it. <laughs> he's open in his clothing. And then he goes from that to this. And it's like the, the level of acting when we can't see your face, I, I find that so fascinating. It's also interesting to note, and and we'll discuss this more in episode four. I am going to bring it up. I believe it's episode four. Mm-hmm. Episode four, which is, I believe, the Tatooine episode of the first season. That's almost all doubles. Interesting. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the suit. I don't know what that that word means. I don't know what Tatooine is, but you know, I'm sure once we get to that <laughs> once era we get in the timeline, to... I might know what it is. <laughs> But it's, it's, yeah, we don't know at any given time who's in the yeah, suit. Who is. It also speaks to the interestingness of the production and how they pulled it off. Right. That they can have this kind of, everybody has such a good sense of the character, at least at the beginning, that they, that it's consistent. It's consistent across the board. Well, and then once we, uh, we meet Mr. Pascal in his little armor, uh, we go into the bar. And uh, we see a, a new blue alien that I don't think we've ever seen before getting beat up. Yep, who are going to cut his, his glands off. Or or <laughs> or yeah, what do they say? His glands? Yeah. Glands. It's the glands they're going for. Which I thought was so weird. on the black market. But I guess it kind of makes sense since he's kind of like a fish alien or aquatic alien. So... I guess he appears be to be. He's got gills, gills or something. Uh, they yeah. say the name of the episode of the alien in yes. species in the episode, but I didn't write that down. Oh, he's a mithril. He's a mithril. Yes, because I have the Funko Pop, and his Funko Pop is called the Mithril. So he mm. doesn't have a name. Bradley collects Funko Pops for some reason. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have never understood it, but then he has always been. Uh, Unable to understand my obsession with collecting the much more expensive Lego sets. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of even on that front. Do they have a Mithril Lego set? Or has um, he a minifig of the Mithril? No. no. No, they don't. All they have thus far... So they have two Mando set, three Mando sets that we know of. 
two of which have come out. There is a one of a machine that shows up in a later episode of the first season for okay. one episode. A machine, okay. A machine of sorts that has Mando, a couple of thugs, and Cara Dune. Okay, and then they have the Razor Crest, which has, I know Grief Karga, I know Baby Yoda, I know another Mandalorian figure. I believe IG-11 is in that one as well. And okay. I believe interesting uh, Scout Trooper might be in that one. I would have to look it up. And there's a new one that's come out with Mando and Baby Yoda and a Tusken Raider. And that one I've been keeping my eye out for because I'm buying it the literal second I see it. Oh, and I guess there's a giant statue of Baby Yoda that you can get well, yeah. that I haven't purchased yet for some reason. Well, the myth role is played by a man named Horatio Sanz. Um, he's a comedian slash actor. Uh, and I was trying to look him up and I really didn't know anything he was in other than SNL. He was on SNL for a while. Really? Yeah. He was, he was on SNL. For a long time, which huh. is crazy to me because I was like, I don't know who that is. Like, you know, it was weird. The, what's funny is I actually looked him, when I looked him up, the one skit that I actually do know him from or vaguely know him from is um there's a skit where jimmy fallon is um in in on on the show or whatever at the time and it's rachel dretch and they're at disney world and she's playing her character that's always like a debbie downer um yes and so they're at disney world and he and horatio sands is sitting at the table with them because he's a part of their group so i just thought that was interesting huh. that he was in that skit and i was like oh i've seen him in star wars <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't go and look up who played him. Oh, yeah, he's a comedian. I was like, I know that I've, I've seen this before. I mm-hmm. every time I watch the show, I'm like, I wonder who that actor is. I should go and look it up, and then I never do. Well, I think with with Mando, there's a lot of those. Like a lot of people are coming on playing one character, you know, and it's like a, a spot kind of thing where it's like a guest yeah. star. So he's our guest star of the week, technically. Well, one of. I think one of two, technically, which we'll get to later on once we get to uh, who I guess technically the villain is of the episode-ish. We'll see once we get there. But so anyway, they're they're roughing up Horatio on the, the table and it doesn't, I, this part made me laugh so much because, okay, so Mando walks into the bar, right? The door just opens and then the guys who are roughing him up, they're like, you spilled my drink. Like what? Anybody could have walked in the door and I don't know. It didn't make any sense. I was like, that's how they're going to get them to like try to go up to Mando and be like, I'm going to talk to you and be mean to you so that you beat me up in a bar fight. On the one hand, it's a, it's a cliche. Yeah. On the, or a trope rather. I should say on the one hand, it is a trope of the Westerns. Yeah. On the other hand, have you been, to an Atlanta bar at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, everybody leaves at three. Because that can happen. That's not a thing that is unsurprising. Sometimes people are just looking to, to throw down with the first fully armored man <laughs> that walks so. in a minimal seat of armor. Because we this is the scene that we see in the trailer or a part of the scene that we see in the trailer where the corn gets cut in half. Um, and I did note at the time mm-hmm. I, I said, I thought that that was the implication in the show that he got cut in half. Yeah. When I actually went back and rewatched the episode, I have in my notes, yeah, dude gets cut in half. Yeah. It's, 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 it's heavily, it heavily show. implied by the sounds. 
that it's, he gets cut. There's the sounds of the little drop. Yeah, the I little drop. I remember the sounds, but I didn't remember the little drop. The down yeah, the I didn't either. It's like, oh yeah, he. Uh, but he, you hear the he squish. Mauling it. Yeah, you you hear the squish, and then you hear the thump of the body, <laughs> and you're just like, oh well, that happened. Okay. I thought it was funny too because it was like a very, like here's the badass guy that came into the bar and just beat everybody's ass, you know, like, and he just proves it by, look, I just killed that guy. <laughs> I mean, they do a lot in this scene and, and I, I took a note of this at the end of the scene. Mm -hmm. So I'll go ahead and let you finish your description of what happens in the scene. And then I'll bring up this note that I made about the structure of this scene. Oh, I only had one more thing for the scene, which was interesting. Uh, well, two things actually. One is uh, a bounty puck which is, I think this is the first time we've heard of this in the show. Correct. Um, or in just in general as a bounty puck. Um, what's it called? The Arab or Orabesh or whatever that pops up with the guy's face says wanted. Um, mm -hmm. And then interesting Mando, instead of saying, I can bring you in dead or alive, which would be like our normal saying that you would say technically, he says, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold because I guess theoretically he's a fish. So it's kind of funny that... I can bring you in cold or I can bring right. you in colder. Right. I thought that was weird. He's like, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold, which is implying dead or alive. But I just thought that it was weird since he was a fish that he's already cold because fish are, I guess, cold blooded, right? Or they're not warm blooded. They're not warm blooded. They're like, or he's more amphibian, I guess, right? So he would be a cold blooded creature. Yeah. The so note that I funny. had made, the note that I had made at the end of this scene was, looking at it from a purely a writing standpoint when you're setting up a character mm -hmm. you want to set up a character like this is a fine line you have to walk because you have to set up the character that isn't unlikable but needs to change over the course of the show yes you can't have your protagonist particularly in a show like this it's a little more morally ambiguous you can't have your protagonist be somebody the audience immediately hates, but there has to be room for them to grow. And right. this scene, you can see a lot of, they do a good job of setting up how cold he is, how detached he is. He doesn't care about the money. He's very professional, Yeah, uh, almost kind of heartless in a way. But, you know, he's beating these dudes up and like bisecting this quarren in the door. <laughs> so clearly right. this is a man who isn't really living for anything this is a man who yeah he's doing is a job. just doing the job right and doesn't have anything to care about which is a right off the bat right even before we hit the original the smash cut to the mandalorian we're already there right yeah i thought that was so interesting oh and so this is where it cuts off right this is where the title screen comes up this is where the title card comes in okay so well, title um, card chapter one the mandalorian so I think that's a pretty good, like, like just from a not seeing any live action Star Wars up until this point, this first scene being the opening scene of any live action Star Wars movie ever, it's pretty exciting. Uh, TV show. There have been a few live action movies before this came out. Okay, live action TV show. <laughs> but I'm saying if out of opening scenes, though, I think this is a very exciting first opening I guess you well. I guess in TV dramas you'd call it the teaser. Yep. Um, so this is a great teaser. You can kind of tell how the acts are broken up to an extent in this, but it's mm -hmm. it doesn't seem, at least on watching, to be broken up into sort of what the traditional right. It's slightly different teaser act one, uh, two, three, four. Right. 
five would normally be because they're not having to do the commercial breaks in this. But it's still following it to an extent. But as far as teasers go, you know, it pretty much sets up what we need to know. It, here's right, what to expect. Him. Here's yep. our main character. Well, I actually got really excited in the next part. So moving on. I got excited because he get he's got Horatio. And I, I'm just going to call him Horatio from now on because he doesn't have a name um, at all. He, and he does. But we, he does, but we don't learn it until the second season. Oh, did they give him a name in the second season? I thought I they didn't give they it give to him. they him a name in the second season. Uh-oh, well, we're going to have to find out once we get there. Um, yes, we'll have I, to just keep watching. Like a year from now. Um, so he takes Horatio, well, right now he's Horatio. So Horatio and him are walking out there on the ice, and they go up to the fairy man. And this is where I got really excited watching this for the first time because not only is this a, I don't know if you'd call it an Easter egg for empire, but it's a nod to empire. Um, and we get to meet the fairy man and the fairy man is a, um, what's called a Kubaz alien. So it's, it's a new hope that the Kubaz is in. Oh, it's in a new hope. I thought it was an empire. The informant in, um, Tatooine, who tells the stormtroopers oh, where the droids are. That's a yeah, that's, that's a Kubaz. Why am I remembering that as something that happened in Empire? I don't know, but it sounds like we probably should rewatch these I, movies shoot, here soon. Maybe I should watch the movies again. Well, anyway, my point is that Kubaz character was so cool because I had one of the I had the toy of the character from A New Hope oh. in, as a kid, and I don't know why I randomly had him as like one of the toys that I had, but he was just like one of my things. And I always had him be like, um, like Darth Vader's like personal assistant or something. So he's, he's Vane. You came up with Vane before Vane was a thing. <laughs> Who's Vane? Vane is uh, the character in Rogue One who makes a very brief appearance, who comes in and, and says, uh, Director Krennic has arrived. Oh, he's like the little, uh, not Smeagol character, but the, not Nosferatu. What's the little humpy guy's name? Uh, Igor. Igor. He's, That's what Igor he's like the character. Igor character, right. That comes into Rogue One. Yeah, basically that's how I had my my Kubas or whatever. I, he was like kind of like that character for Darth Vader because I thought he was so cool looking, and I love that he. It's the same noise from the movie. They just recycled the um, the noise. I thought it was interesting in the scene that they went back and forth between translating what he was saying. Um, yeah, that they they didn't translate the first little bit. And then when he's talking to Mando, they did translate it. Although I felt like they really didn't need to. No, I felt like I, the implication so. of the scene would have been clear had they not done that. If they just had the thing kind of start talking. Yeah. And then Mando flips him a coin and right. then he blows the thing again. Right. That would have been fine to communicate it. Well, I thought it was funny too, because I don't think I, especially in TV shows, if Somebody is speaking a language you don't know unless the thing that they are saying is important to the plot. You don't need to hear a translation. Like, for example, he says something along the lines of like, uh, you know, do you need a fairy or something? I don't even know what he says, but... Uh, the droid is right. the top model and the, right, like, right, he's right. trying to protest. He's like, yeah, to do it's it like a new thing. Coin is like, yeah, we don't need, we don't need to know that, which is like... Because it's implied, you know, like, of course you want a droid to do everything because droids are more efficient. Fun fact, the actor who plays 
the Kubas. His name is Chris Bartlett, and he was the first actor to ever play a Star Wars character on the Disney Channel. And he portrayed um, C-3PO, which was crazy because, hmm. you know, only Golden Tony does that or did do that, yeah, I guess. I was about to say. Yeah, I think and, this and, is after he got Daniels, too old. Uh, no, I've never seen him do a... I've never seen anything where he's not the voice of C-3PO. Yeah. He's like uh, Tamura Morrison back right? during the Attack of the Clones Revenge of the Sith there, where just every time you had a clone, it was voiced by Tamara Morrison before D. Bradley Baker took over it for right. the Clone Wars. But Anthony Daniels is the same way. Like every every, every time. time there's C-3PO in anything ever, it's probably going to be Anthony Daniels. That is so wild. That is yeah, I interesting. I think it was just because he got to the point where he was you know too old not not that he couldn't do it but i think it just took a lot of effort for him to do that stuff so it's just like he's done cashing those paychecks he's good um but what's funny is this guy chris bartlett also in 2009 was summoned to the white house to meet president michelle obama and obama of course um president michelle obama president and the president and michelle obama (laughs) no Um, that's Let's just stick with President Michelle Obama. That's, I know. It sounded that pretty sounds good, right? Fine. That sounds um, fine. That sounds fine to me. But he was in costume as C-3PO and in character where he met them. Oh, neat. Because it was on, I think it was Halloween or something that he went there. Um, and so C-3PO got to meet Michelle Obama and Obama and Barack. That was so funny. Um, so yeah, the, this actor, he also plays like a lot of droid characters um, in Star Wars stuff. So I think that he actually plays a particular droid later on in the show that we'll talk about. Um, oh, I I don't know where you're going. So I know it could be for me it's a fun learn. little teaser for the future. But um, oh, yeah, boy. so I mean, that's all I had on the ferry man. I didn't talk about the guy driving the um, speeder because he's a he's another comedian who's been on shows, been on Big Bang Theory and stuff like that. I just didn't have his information pulled up because I was trying to save time. <laughs> the guy driving the speeder. That scene where they're having the conversation back and forth. Yeah. Every time I've watched the show, the first few times I watched it, I watched it with the subtitles off. This time I watched it with the subtitles on. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure I caught any references I hadn't caught before. The scene is complete jargon. If you read the the actual subtitles, the script, complete yeah. jargon. It Half of it is words that are not like actual words. They're like Star Wars words. But the tone, the way the scene is written, the tone of the delivery, like it is very clear that they're talking exactly what they're talking about without needing to know it. And that's part of the beauty of Star Wars dialogue executed well, is you can throw these references in there and go, you know, everybody turns into their own personal stink pit. Right. We don't know what a stink pit is, but we know from the tone and the context, our brains automatically fill in. Yeah. Stink pit is. is like a, a place where people dump waste from their spaceships, probably, or like a junkyard. Or it's yeah, that's what I like the I way assumed. planes flush out there. Or the the rumor is, at least I heard that planes flush things out in midair right. as you're flying. Like we get that. Supposedly. We get oh, that's what's going on here. Right. We're we're looking into potentially getting a flight attendant on the show, so I'm going to have to ask him. <laughs> we'll we have to ask them if that's true or not. But that was um, my note on that scene. Well, funny that you talk about a flight attendant because we get to see our first look at our newest aircraft, which is the Razor Crest. 
I have to get my hands on the Lego set for that thing. It's my I thought, I thought it was so funny. life right now. I thought it was so funny because um, Horatio looks at the Razorcrest and he does the the classic joke of that's a hunk of junk, you know, like uh, I he's like, I'll I'll buy us like a taxi or something to take us to wherever you want to go. I'm not getting that. I'll thing. get us on a luxury cruiser. Please right. get me out of here. Please, Because he's like he's looking at it like, what is this piece of crap? And I'm like, why do they always talk about these ships like they're pieces of crap or they're junkers or something when they always look like fantastic to me? I'm like. The Millennium Falcon is a beautiful ship. The Razorcrest is a beautiful ship. I don't understand. Uh, because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I and guess so. when you're wine drunk at one in the morning, Grinder looks a lot different <laughs> right. than it does at one in the afternoon. So it's well, all perspective. I I had the same reaction, like, because to me, you don't have much context for what a good ship should look like. Mm-hmm when you're a kid and you're watching a new hope so when he says that's a hunk of junk you're like no that's the coolest fucking thing i've ever seen in my life right and then you look at the prequels and some of these other ships and some of these luxury ships and you're like oh yeah the millennium falcon is kind of junk but what's interesting to me about it is every like every scene the millennium falcon is in or every game the millennium falcon there's always like the biggest ship in the squadron like it's this huge cargo ship that gets treated like a combat ship. I thought when I first saw the Razor Crest on screen, I was reminded of the bounty hunter ship from Star Wars The Old Republic because it has a lot of that same vibe of trying to capture the bounty hunter aesthetic mm-hmm. without just being Slave One again. Right. And it had that same vibe to me where you had the kind of decrepit, it's limping along, but it's got like a kind of smooth look to it and feel to it, kind of like Slave One had. So that's what it reminded me of when I first saw it. I went, oh, cool. They've basically done that again. And then it gets attacked by a giant monster. <laughs> giant walrus monster thing. Giant walrus monster. Yeah, because I thought I thought I actually looked at the monster this time because I think the first time I watched it, I wasn't really paying attention to the monster. But I think now... Um, when I watched it, I was like, oh, it has giant tusks. Like, it looks like yep. a walrus, um, which I thought was interesting. And, walrus monster. And I thought... I love Star Wars. And this was a fun little scene, too, because it's supposed to be a callback to, um, you know, the first time Boba Fett is introduced in the uh, holiday special because he pulls out his uh, phase pulse blaster. I had to look it up. And he shocks the the beast or whatever with it and that's what boba fett does with his same thing blaster pulse blaster in the special favreau and some of the other people that worked on the show are famously uh fans of the star wars holiday special and in fact life day gets a name drop the yes. first canonical mention first of life canonical day. day drop of life day which means it really happens <laughs> and then years a few years later they did a whole special about life day so right. it's they're famously fans of the holiday special and but i will say i have noted here to bring up this is not the only reference to a tv movie that we will see in this no it is not i also have those references too later on but we'll see if they 
they link up. I know um, that one particular because it is the best yes. Star Wars movie. The only other thing I have from this little encounter and then flying away, though, was the part where Horatio is sitting there trying to make conversation with him. And he goes, uh, well, actually, before I do that, uh, one, this is our first, I'm going to count, I'm going to make a, um, a curse count. So this is the first time we hear Dane Farrick, which I guess Dank is like... Farrick. Which like stop got... trying to make dank Farrick happen. It's not going right. to happen. So is this like Crip is perfectly serviceable? Just use that. Is that what this no, is supposed to be like? It's like supposed to be like the Star Wars Dank version Farrick of like damn is... it. It yeah, it's supposed to be like the Star Wars version of damn it. And yeah. like Criff is is essentially the Star Wars version of the word fuck. So uh, okay. I'm like, yeah. uh, when I first heard it, I was like, oh my God, they're trying to make up new swear. Now I right. just think it's funny. Well, it's kind of like trying to say wizard when you say something's cool. Well, yeah, have you, been, have you been nine and not known swear words yet? Yeah. Because you live with your mom and only talk to your boss. Right. Well, I think it's kind of funny too, because it kind of like, it's kind of like a way for them to use damn it in this without having curse words, because technically it is on Disney Plus, so they don't want to do too many, you know, bad yeah. words. Quote. They swear in the sequels. They swear at least once in the sequels. Oh, uh, yeah. In Rise of Skywalker. They definitely say damn, and they definitely say, well, I don't, I mean, it's not really a bad word, but they reference Christian Hell again in the new ones. Um, Corellians, uh, in in universe, it's at least Corellians have a version of hell. Corellian hell. In. Fine, but I'll call it Corellian hell. Skywalker. Post says something to the effect of "move your golden ass" or something to oh. C three PO. So, well, I'm gonna keep a, I'm gonna keep a curse count. I'm gonna yeah, like, keep any, a, every time gonna they keep say "dank fair count." Yeah, dank fair count. count. We're so this one. is the first one. There were a few notes that I had from this scene that I yeah. wanted to bring up. Uh, I love the horror movie vibes in the Razor Crest hold when he's walking mm -hmm. uh, along, uh, where he's going from place to place, and then Mando just kind of appears, appears. behind him. It's so creepy, and I love <laughs> it. It's so, like, amazingly, this episode was directed by Dave Filoni. Ah, yes. Who is the guy... If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Dave Filoni is. But just in case you don't, Dave Filoni was the executive producer and showrunner for both Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, where he famously worked directly with George Lucas for uh, The Clone Wars and is often seen by many people as Lucas's direct successor in terms of being the internal gatekeeper for things like how the force works. This is his first live action thing that he directed. And uh, notably, you can't tell. I was gonna say notably what he does with his power as this, you know, all, all keeper of Star Wars stuff and his first episode ever, he introduces a vac tube. <laughs> he introduces the fact that people in Star Wars use the bathroom on their ship. Yep. <laughs> Which, and, and he shows and, it. And it's called a vacuum. It's and right there. It. Well, the Razor Crest, the Razor Crest is supposed to be this small, like he's limping along in this tiny ship. I live at time of recording. I live in a, 295 foot square foot apartment in in la which you know i have to chop a finger off every month to pay rent for and the the bathroom and my 
regular desk and my kitchen and my work desk, there's no break between any of those things. It's all right on top of each other. The Razor Crest has kind of that same feel to it, to where everything's just crammed in all together because he's living out of his ship. It's right. not a big ship. It's an old ship. Well, he's almost in like it, a camper. Yep. It has a it has one of those weird like air conditioning. Yeah. And, the lights maybe flicker occasionally and the smoke detector had to be replaced because it started beeping at three in the morning and I'm on a tangent about my apartment now. Moving on. Well, I was gonna say he has, so he has the vac tube toilet, which looks like just like if you've ever been on a camper or a trailer, it's the same thing. Like it only flushes when you, or it doesn't like hold water, you know, as much water in it. So like when you flush it, it would like, suck it out real quick <laughs> so i just thought it was I told so you funny. airplanes do this i yeah. told you they it's basically their, an airplane toilet which is interesting and then he also you can kind of see it in the corner um it looks like his bed is just like a cot like an army cot like that's all he has for a bed so i thought that was weird too because i was like damn this guy is living this terrible camper lifestyle where he is just on the road all the time. He really is not in a position to be adopting any children. Right? But then uh, he, of course, like you said, he sneaks up on him and he uh, freezes him in carbonite all of a sudden, which was kind of a fun little nod. This annoyed me. It's supposed to be like a emergency measure that the empire does the whole reason han solo gets frozen in carbonite in the first place nobody has any idea whether or not this is going to work right and the idea is that vader wants to make sure that he has a way that he can bring luke to the emperor but he doesn't want to kill him right so they're like well we've got these prisoners who are expendable, I'm going to test the procedure on Captain Solo. Right. If it kills him, that sucks. We will know not to do it on Luke. If it doesn't, great. This is what we're going to do. Uh, so anytime like the Old Republic in particular does this, they do bounty events and things. I get it. It's because it's part of the, the Star Wars feel and the Star Wars aesthetic. Right. But that kind of every time it happens outside, and it annoys me more when it happens pre-Empire, post-Empire like Mandalorian, okay, maybe it's gotten out there. Maybe people have figured it out a little bit more. Well, it's gotten so good that he has like a compact version on a ship. Yep, (laughs) which is an amazingly fast period of time to do this and have it work, but... I get it, it's part of the aesthetic, but it's always annoyed me because it's like like a rudimentary one that's in this like backwater yeah. mining colony. But then why does Mando have a fully functional version of it that seems to ship. have a high yeah. success rate on his ship? That is, this has always bothered me. This will never not bother me <laughs> in anything. Although I will say that the carbon phrasing, the carbonite frozen Jar Jar that used to be at Lucasfilm, I don't know if it's still there, that was pretty funny. Okay. Well, I was going to say that was just a fun little, you know, nod to Empire, I guess, if anything. Um, But then they land on a new planet. Navarro. Which we don't know it's called Navarro yet because they don't do subtitles or anything. Um, No, they don't Rogue One this. Yeah, I I thought that was so interesting because like they overdid it in Rogue One and then they don't do it at all in this show. 
like they don't even tell you and unless unless the characters say i am on navarro i am on tatooine like we don't know they don't where they are the which is, is nice i i don't think we need to necessarily all the time because i like the premise of just like we're just in space we're just on a planet like it's just a planet like who cares what planet it is we're just on this planet like we're only going to be here for this episode so who cares what planet it is so we land on there and we we walk through the streets and then we meet grief carga grief carga played by carl weathers and uh we learn you know i guess if we didn't know before we now know that we are in the post-Empire time. There is a says, lot of world building yeah. that happens it's this regarding scene. setting up where we're at. It, just in case you don't know, right? You know, maybe you're coming into this for the first time. Yeah. You know, he calls uh, the the guy calls the Razor Crest pre-Empire. Pre-Empire. Um, Mando yeah, I forgot about that. that. The Empire is gone. There's also just like there's so much jargon in this show. Like right. the, the bit of the conversation where they're going back and forth talking about chain codes and pucks. And I'm like, this is just like, again, watching it with the subtitles on trying to actually follow the dialogue right. as written instead of just following it organically in the scene. There's been a few times in the rewatch that I've been like, what? What are they, what are they talking about? Because I didn't catch it the first time. Like chain codes in particular. Right me both rewatched i rewatched it twice to prep for this episode both of them to figure out oh chain codes are the statistics right yeah i didn't know that at first because they do he does bring that up and later on um, when he's talking to the client but um uh, one one of the funny things that he brought up was the empire credits and he's like here i'm gonna pay you in this currency that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> because if you think about it if everybody's using M- imperial credits at the time and that government falls then that means imperial credits don't aren't worth anything now we do see later on what mando why he can't really take imperial credits right. the real reason he can't take it he takes this mon calamari flan which looks but only takes half so funny because they're like squishy it looks delicious that's what i what said like. they look like gummies well when he's talking uh when he gives him the calamari flan because he eventually just accepts it he mentions the client and when he mentions the client he's like i can't tell you it has to be a face-to-face thing you did you catch the reference that mando gives when he's talking to grief he says what does he say your favorite mention of a old star wars show that never came to fruition underworld he yes. mentioned he's asking whether or not the client is underworld yeah it's that sets up more too, and that's more jargon that kind of sets up if you're eagle, eagle-eared how the universe works. Because, of course, the first question is going to be, is he connected to the crime syndicates? And the crime syndicates, if you right. follow Star Wars TV, you know we're a really big deal in the early Empire because Maul had united them at the end of the Clone Wars, briefly, uh, before he was captured at Mandalore. I think the, the bounty hunter stuff and how it works is... It's still interesting to go back and look now, but I, I think watching the episode, it's because Carl Weathers is the one spouting it, mm-hmm. and Carl Weathers is so good at exposition. Yeah. He brings a certain weight and a gravity to Grief Cargo while not being super, like, Campy. unapproachable. <laughs> He's not like certain other characters that we will meet later on in the series. Well, I was going to say... The same gravity, 
but they are very scary. I was going to say, speaking of uh, almost a showman-like voice, we can move on to the meeting of... The next scene. And I do want to say about the transition (laughs) that the aesthetic details are what really makes a show on a production design level something special. The, The empty hallways that he walks through of you know, having to walk into an alley to go through this door to an empty hallway to get to the meeting where you would think, you know, an Imperial base would be normally staffed with a lot of of stormtroopers or the stormtroopers themselves. They're very dirty. They haven't cleaned their armor. The implication being there's not a lot of them here. Maybe four is the only stormtroopers that they have. Although I do think we see more later on. Uh, I love that whole, again, horror movie vibes to it where he's walking through these empty hallways being led on by the, the gonk droid. Yes, I, I noticed that. So not only does he get greeted with the, I, I don't even know if it's called this, but a wall droid. So the, the wall droid greets him, the door opens, and then a gonk droid meets him. And then he's like, I'll take you to <laughs> the client. He's so funny. Because like, what does what do gonk droids do? Gonk. They just gonk. <laughs> yep, gonk. <laughs> just gonk, gonk. <laughs> I love it. Um, so he goes into the room and we're, we, we're surprised because we see the client sitting there at his desk surrounded by dirty stormtroopers. <laughs> the client played, of course, by Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Played in I thought that was so quotation weird. marks. It was so weird that they got Werner Herzog for this. One, I want to know. I want to know the story behind one. Why? Where he even came from? Like, who even approached him about this? It was like, hey, I want to know. Is he even acting in this role? Because he doesn't seem like he's acting. He's not. He seems like he's just doing Werner Herzog. But Werner he Herzog is. is already kind of like alien and ethereal. I think he just shows up and is Werner Herzog, and yes. it's perfect. Um, so not only is the client there with the stormtroopers, uh, another character, Dr. Pershing, comes in. Um, I didn't look up his information because, you know, I wasn't trying to go every single. I mean, I could have looked up stormtrooper number three's information, but I didn't really want to. Um, but Dr. Pershing came in. Um, and the only thing I had about him was, of course, on his right arm, we see a uh, Camino emblem on his person. So immediately people are like oh my god he's a clone or scientist person it's probably a genetic engineer of some sort or a genetic right. scientist is probably what he is that caused a lot of speculation the thought being do you want to clone of course there right. are theories and i have mine as to pershing's role and what role. he wants to actually do i think we'll get more into pershing once we get to the second episode because i think once he shows up again then we can talk more about uh, it. three um, yes. three okay that's what i mean yeah once we, we once he shows up again it. i think we can talk more about what we think he his role is but as of now he clearly cares about because they kind of get in that discussion where he's like you know you can bring me the asset dead or alive i don't care and then dr pershing's, pershing's like, like um, what? no <laughs> this is this is interesting because it conflicts yeah the implication is that Pershing either has never been in one of these meetings before or when he has the client is instructed to bring in the asset alive right IG-11 later in the episode will specifically say that he was given 
Uh, he was given those specific instructions to bring him in dead. Right. Now, did you look up um, the importance of Beskar? So, yeah. So he, the client presents him with this metal piece of Beskar. And I, at the time of watching this, I had no idea what Beskar was. I've never heard of Beskar because they don't make a big deal of it in um, I, theoretically the prequels if you haven't seen the tv shows you know so they only they don't really talk about it except for and i think the prequels Django says something along the lines of like a mandalorian's nothing without his armor right beskar actually was first because i at the time that this was being discussed in the Mm -hmm. ear space i didn't really recall because i didn't watch rebels i watched the first two seasons of rebels when it aired kind of dropped off it a little bit through season three. I never really finished season three. So when the, all this was going on, I was in the process of doing my big giant rewatch. And so I actually was able to pay close attention mm. to Heroes of Mandalore and exactly what Beskar is. It's, it's what they make the Mandalorian armor out of. But what's interesting is in Rebels, and we will touch on this if we do a a deep dive into rebels but in rebels it is actually the thing that undoes the mandalorians um, at least in the early days of the empire because the duchess weapon that is being developed targets specifically beskar armor and it allows the empire to wipe out legions of mandalorian armored people without taking a single stormtrooper casualty. I so vaguely the remember this, yeah. That the Mandalorians now are so obsessed with getting were the thing that undid their original rebellions against the empire. No, I thought it was very interesting. I like the uh that it's so it's clearly important to him because he's like, "Oh, this is like you're like, whoa, he's going to do it for just this tiny little chunk of metal. So it must be worth something at least. And actually in the beginning of the episode, when he gets into the bar fight, the ruffian guy asks him, he's, he looks at his uh, armor and he says, is this uh, Beskar? And he takes a knife and he scratches his plate, his chest plate. And so I thought that was interesting. So they actually mentioned the Beskar in the beginning, but then this is the first time that he like goes into detail about what Yeah, it you don't really is. know what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's something the armor should be made out of, but the armor is clearly not, not made out of. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I had in this scene though, was that he says, uh, he's like, well, can you get, he's like, I can't give you a puck, um, but I can give you a chain code or the last four digits of the chain code. And, I and was the like, tracking fob. The tracking fob, right. And I was like, the chain code he goes you can only give me the age of the the person i thought that was interesting so there these codes that they use for these people are just like spells out like whoever they are and then how old they are at the very end which is interesting i also thought it was funny as as they're as he's leaving yes that we see the dead uh salacious crumb looking thing yes i I wrote that down so he uh we see he's walking through the little i guess the bazaar i guess you'd call it uh, of shops and people cooking food on the street market or whatever. And we see the roasting uh, Kowakian monkey lizard is what Salacious Crumb is. So mm-hmm. 
I thought that was such a fun little callback because you see the other one looking at him being roasted and you're just like, that's <laughs> so sad. It reminds me of the, the scene in The Last Jedi where Chewbacca's roasting the Porg and he looks down and it's yeah. all the horrified Porgs. Yeah, they're like looking, looking at, like, up at him like, what? Why would you do this? It's That's so cute too. And I kind of want one. They're like ugly. A Kowakian like monkey lizard or a Porg? No, the Kwaki monkey lizards are like ugly, but they're cute. At the same time, it's weird. Wow. Um, I mean, I have seen your taste in men, so this does not surprise me <laughs> in the slightest <laughs> that you would go for the ugly looking weird ones. But of course, you know, no judge, no judgment here. No judgment whatsoever. Well, Mando walks through this bazaar and then goes underground somehow to this like secret town. It looks or like some kind of underground lair of what we see walking around other Mandalorians. And what I never noticed or internalized, I noticed it uh, as, as other famous reviews would say, I didn't notice it, but my brain did. Yeah. That the children running around are all wearing helmets. I the noticed that too. Yeah, are the wearing foundlings. their helmets. So they're very obviously wearing normal clothing. Yes. They're and they're armor, also they're wearing, wearing helmet. their helmets. Which I thought was weird. So it's like you automatically get a helmet as a foundling, but you don't get, you have to earn your armor as you go, I guess, which is weird, but interesting. It's just like delving into the lore that we don't really know much about at this it's point. It's the background details. Yeah. So I talked about aesthetic details and the fact that the children running around, you can see them, they're, they're just normally dressed, but they're wearing these Mandalorian helmets. Right. Because uh, at least as far as we know in the show, Right. The Mandalorians, this is their whole thing, is that they never yes. take their helmets off from the moment they put them on. Yeah, I, you know, what's funny is I didn't think that was weird when I was watching this. I mean, it, it is now that I've watched, you know, all two seasons plus Rebels and, you know, Clone Wars and the prequels. Now that I know everything, it makes sense. But before watching this, not knowing, I was like, huh, I guess the only other Mando that we've seen is Sabine in uh, Rebels. And then a few other regular- At least in the early part of- Yeah, at least in the early part of it. You know, if you're you're just watching the movies then the only Mandos you've been exposed to are Jango Fett and Boba Fett. Right, who are pretty much for the most part always wearing their helmets. If you watch Clone Wars, they take their helmets off and not really a big deal is made of it. Mm-hmm. My original theory when I watched the pilot was that uh, whatever happened after Bo-Katan's rebellion, yes. wherever that ended up, and this was, again, this was just my theory at the time, messed up Mandalorian society so bad yeah. that some of the remnants of the survivors had gone back to a essentially mythical time right in their thinking and we're trying to basically pull like a hardcore traditionalist mindset because that's what happens to splinter groups of a society that breaks apart sometimes right. some of them will form these groups and try to go back to you know when it was ways successful the ways of the old and they're romanticizing it to an extent. That was my original theory, which yeah. wasn't too far off the mark, but no. it wasn't quite accurate. Well, and it's kind of, um, you kind of hit the nail on the head with that because we kind of go into the armor's uh, little den area, which is very, you know, the blacksmith, you know, very right. old school 
like Knights of the Round Table stuff. So it's, it's like going, it's like almost like a blacksmith by way of like a Japanese sensei, how you yes. would approach one and mm-hmm. where he gets down and he kneels. I was almost reminded when I watched the way he approaches and kneels and he spends the whole time kneeling yeah. of like a video game where you would go in and you would do that and you would be like in a shop where you're upgrading your armor. And I, I was thinking, oh, I mean, Ubisoft's doing an open world Star Wars game. Right. I wonder what, whether or not we're going to have something like that in there. Please be about the Mandalorian. I actually don't want it to be about the Mandalorians. <laughs> Well, and I also thought it was interesting too. So we meet the armorer and this is, if you do not watch the shows, this is the first time we see a female Mandalorian. She is. She's, she's going to be back. There's no way. I don't know. I will. There's I don't know no what you're talking they're about. They're not set herring her up. I don't know what you're talking Even about. From the importance, all of the major characters that we see in this pilot are clearly yeah. set up as major characters for the series. Yeah. Grief Karga, right. uh, the Mandalorian himself, the Armorer. Well, you're uh, right. The Armorer will probably come back in later episodes in this season, yes, I'm hoping. Later episodes. And I also think that, <laughs> um, that, that we don't know about the Armorer and the pilot doesn't no, tell us very much. It doesn't tell her. us much about her. Um, I thought she was very interesting. She's actually played by actress mm-hmm. Emily Swallow, which I do know um, because I watch, um, I know her from Supernatural. She plays um, the darkness, which is God's sister in Supernatural. Which See, is just... I don't remember that in the only five seasons of Supernatural <laughs> that exists. Well, there's 15 seasons of Supernatural. So, <laughs> I mean, people keep telling me that. But I've I've only heard of five really good seasons, yeah. and then nothing else happened. Well, I like her; she's great. Um, I think she's really good. I actually really like the character of the armor because if you think about it too, if you now if you do watch the cartoons, you know that so far, most if not all of the leaders of Mandalore that we've seen have all been women, or at least officially. Um, so like uh, the the. Yeah, there've been I mean there were other the male four, leaders but there's five. there's at least they're uh, all women leaders fifths of the people we've seen be the leader of Mandalore right are men but the women have had the most screen time as leader of Mandalore because there was right. Satine Christ it was uh, I'm trying to remember whether or not they were officially leader Prey Vizsla and Darth Maul well, no, that, I, I was to trying to, to, I was trying not to mention like overthrowing or like trying to be right. the leader. So well, but Olmec, for the most part. Olmec is, I guess, I think Olmec is technically in charge when Maul is quote unquote in charge. Oh, and then I there's Gar Saxon, Bo-Katan, Kreis, and then Previsla briefly. Yeah. Well, my, my point was, I'm assuming at this point in the timeline that we're watching, if he looks at her at least as some kind of, like you said, some kind of sensei or some kind of like older, you know, Japanese person that you respect. So I feel like she is, if not the leader of this group, she is kind of the elder of the group in Definitely. some capacity. So she, she is seems like to be the yeah. one dictating things. Which right. Hmm. Well, I think she knows the most about at least their history. Because she mentions there was the Great Purge. She mentions, you know, foundlings. You know, she mentions all that stuff. And actually, this is where we first get to see quick flashes of Mando's backstory. It's possible 
And I do love that sequence. And I still love that sequence a mm -hmm. lot. It's possible. And it's interesting to think about that. She's our key to knowing about the Mandalorian culture in the pilot. Right. She's clearly the key to knowing about it for the covert, which is the actual name of the group of Mandalorians that are living down there. The covert. The covert. Yeah. But it's possible that her version of it might be flawed. Yeah, we don't really know. Yeah. Person. Well, as far as we know, she is establishing things the way that she wants them to be established, I guess. So we don't really know anything else other because we don't know her backstory. We don't know where she's from. We know nothing about we, her. Yeah, we know nothing about her, except for the fact that her helmet is different than most Mandalorian helmets, which is um, kind of cool. Like I said, if you haven't seen the shows, you don't really haven't you haven't really seen any of the other helmets that they have but in this you know because Django and Boba have you know standard Mandalorian helmet looking helmets and then Mandalorian uh, the Mandalorian has a standard Mando helmet and then she has this more medieval looking helmet with these like like almost like skinnier slits for the eye and then like she's got horns on her head you know who the helmet remind you know what the helmet reminds me of Hmm. The Maldalorians from the final season of the you know Wars I was thinking that, that too have the horns on their helmet to replicate right. Darth Maul, right. Dar Saxon, and uh, the one woman right. who there's theories that she might actually be the armorer. Ooh, interesting. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were connected in some way because it is weird that she has horns on her helmet because um, we don't ever see that in any Mandalorians except for the rebel Mandalorians in Clone Wars. So, and I guess technically rebels. So I'd be excited to see if they connect her somehow to Maul, like in the future and other episodes maybe, just to be like, hmm, she's actually connected somehow to Just that. saying, you know, as far as the season art goes, it would be very interesting to learn more about Mandalore and what has been happening surrounding the Mandalorian's home planet and why they are on Navarro and not right. on Mandalore. Yeah, I, I hope, you know, at some point in the show's uh, run that we get to learn that, that stuff. They so. will address some I hope of so. these things. Well, I hope so. Um, anything else for the armor scene that you noticed mm, or you want to talk about? Nope, that basically covers it. So we get a classic transition a classic Star Wars transition anyway. Uh, we get a, like the pinhole that opens up on the Razor Crest in space, uh, landing on a new, not Tatooine desert planet. <laughs> Slash, I don't even know what this one is called. Uh, I called it Arizona um, <laughs> because it looks like Arizona desert almost, Arizona mountain desert. It was really weird. I always thought it was interesting that uh, National Geographic was involved and now i realize why because of some of these sweeping landscape shots right in the pilot well i thought it was funny so it's you they kind of reminisce you to think it's tatooine too because he gets out and he pulls out his little plasma rifle thing and he looks at the scope and it's got the classic scope you know looking through the goggles feel it's star wars right this but he's doing like that Star Wars. But I like how he's doing that because it, they they do nod to A New Hope, because when he's looking at the the Blurgs, he kind of looks at them like uh, Luke was looking at the Banthas, um, 
on Tatooine. And then all of a sudden, in his scope gets Blurg. full. Yeah, Blurg attacks him. Um, Blurgs, of course, famously first yes. appeared in the best Star Wars movie that Disney Plus are cowards and, and will not put on their service. Right. Uh, but they did famously make their debut in Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, the best of all of the Star Wars movies. That's so funny I that will fight you say you. that. I, I honestly didn't know that they were in that until I researched this because, okay, I knew what the Blurgs were because, yes, they were seen in both the Clone Wars and in Rebels. Um, so I knew what they were, but um, that was after, like, I had to go back and be like, oh, these were the Blurgs from the Clone Wars. I didn't know that they were in Ewoks, the Battle for Endor. Yes, that is where they originated from. Right. Yeah, because I, I saw that. I was like, what? I I have been needing to get my hands on, because I haven't seen that movie in years. Yeah. I have been needing to get my hands on and watch it, because I can't remember what role they actually play in the story right. of Ewoks, the battle for Endor. But they did first appear, and continuing on John Favreau's tradition of mm-hmm. bringing in stuff from other minor TV things like the holiday special, they did first yeah. appear in that. Interesting. Yeah, because uh, the the Blurgs try to attack our Mando, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they get these sleeping darts shot, shot in them. Now, I do want to note the hilarity of just how bad Mando is with his flamethrower. Oh, like, yeah, I, I feel forgot. like we need yeah. to talk about this. He is terrible with his flamethrower. Like, I think the first... It's not till several episodes in he's able to successfully use it. And we see the first instance of him trying to use it in this and fucking up so spectacularly that it's almost hilarious. Like he has this flamethrower and he doesn't know how to use it. Yeah, it was weird too because I was like, oh, he has a flamethrower. Oh, he doesn't use it properly. He doesn't know because Boa Fett with the flamethrower is... Well, that's one of the things with Django and Boba Fett is they always have the flamethrower and the flamethrower is the coolest thing. And here he's got Mando's like, no, he's a fucking dork who doesn't know how to use his flamethrower correctly. Yeah, because the first time we see the flamethrower, Django uses it and catches uh, Mace Windu's uh, robe on fire when he's Mm -hmm. flipping up in the air. And that is such a cool scene because you're like, oh, he almost got him, you know. And then then you fast forward to this because this is after, you know, Boba Fett is theoretically dead we are like what the heck he doesn't know how to use this <laughs> it's, it's almost kind of hilarious yeah in in this sort of we expect him to be like this proficient badass with the flamethrower but here he's gonna use ass kick by the blur and he just resorts to like punching it in the face right it's is wonderful it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, he's punching it in the face until it gets knocked out by uh, the our newest character, which is uh, an Ugnaught riding a, a Blurg, and his name is Quill. That's a series of words that <laughs> are in order and make sense. Only nerds would know what I just said. An Ugnaught riding a Blurg named Quill. <laughs> yes. Uh, Quill is the, the Quill the Ugnaught. Uh, he is voiced by Nick Nolte, um, and he is performed body-wise by stunt woman Misty Rosas. See, I I I gave credit to whoever was in the makeup because yes. 
the makeup doesn't move very much. No. And there's doesn't. still some impressive emoting going on, and particularly in the right. voice. Well, if you watch him. the if you watch the gallery, um, you can see that they use a remote control or some kind of robotic system to move the mouth or puppet the mouth, I guess you I should say. Um, this is not the only impressive episode of puppetry that right. will be in the show. But that's I thought that was such an interesting because I didn't know that it was a puppet thing. I could I mean for all I knew that it was CGI. You know what I mean? So it's I interesting. thought it was makeup that was just layered on top. Just layered and on top of her face. Movement of it all. It all goes back to this production design and how they put so much detail into the mechanics yeah. and they threw everything at the wall with the Mandalorian right. in terms of how it works. I also think that as gay men we need to adopt the phrase "I have spoken" a lot harder than we're adopting. I have it. spoken. I have spoken. I have spoken. Yeah, I, I thought have about spoken. it. That's it. Well, there, there's our uh, outro for later a, on. That's we have our, a version of it. We have a, in <laughs> I said what I said. I said what I said. But I think that personally for me, I think we should have been adopting I have spoken. <laughs> that would I make that, that would make brunch so much funnier. Just well, no, he, I have spoken. I have spoken. No, I have spoken. I have spoken. Well, it's true because that's what most people, they, most people go, I said what I said. Nope, I've spoken. I've spoken. That's it. I've spoken. Okay, I'm well, going to start, adopted. once the plague is over and I'm able to go to brunches again, I'm going to start deploying that. Yes. I've spoken. Um, so uh, our Ugnot friend um, helps Mando and then takes him back to his house. He's like, yo, come, come to my house where I got a farm of all these little chicken nuggy boys that are hopping around. Chicken nuggy boys. <laughs> He's yeah, they're little these little blurgs. They're like little uh, fat chickens or something. I don't even know what you would call them. They look like little chubby bunnies bouncing. Yeah, and I'm around. I'm to an extent reminded of the Griska from Knights of the Old Republic, which get onto there's a there's a bit on Tatooine where they infest your ship, and it's really quite funny. Uh, okay, uh, these tiny little things wandering about. Well, and then we. I was gonna say, what, what is what? Is, how big are they? Are they? They're not the same size, are they? No, they're not the same size. But they remind me just of them a little bit uh, in okay. terms of how they're wandering about. Yeah, they they seem more like they're um they're not cows, but they're very like they're almost like sheep or some kind of right. herding animal. So you know, like yeah, it almost seems like Quill is using them. It's hard to say what he's using or training them for. They might have other uses that we're not aware of besides writing, or they might be, you know, I I would have to look into some of the biology of these creatures. I'm sure exactly. there's some kind of bestiary of Star Wars characters out there. Somewhere. They had a visual. They had a visual dictionary. Maybe I should be reading it. You know what? I bet you there's like the art of the Mandalorian or something out there. That's what we need to get because I need Otherwise to. Otherwise what... known as the in credit sequences of the Mandalorian. <laughs> right. So anyway, he's a. Uh, they're playing with these little dinosaurs and he's teaching them how to ride it because they got to ride it to go get the asset, apparently. All and... males are apparently eaten during mating. We <laughs> I know, I, that was so weird. I, I didn't know that. I, I, I listened to that and they said, oh, all the males are, are consumed during mating. And I went, yes, this is a good idea. Yeah, they're just like spiders. They're just like, what? Yeah, they, they have used up their use after that. Um, we don't need anything more from them. Exactly. Just go ahead and consume them. Um, and while he's uh, training him, he mentions the mythosaur. I have this noted as well. Because okay. again, I watched this with the subtitles turned on and I didn't. 
yes. originally, the first few times I watched it. I didn't catch the mythosaur until now. My brain immediately went, what's a mythosaur? Right. What is this? Is it like a giant T-Rex thing? Yeah, we have no idea what it is because at this point in the timeline, right, if you were to watch all Star Wars content aside from the holiday special, you have no idea what a mythosaur mythosaur is. is. I was like, I want to see that on screen. So I guess technically the only way you would know what it is is if you've seen the holiday special, right? Is this is this series going to end with the Mandalorian riding like a giant T-Rex looking thing? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did do something like that. Cause I mean, they're hinting at it in the first episode. So why wouldn't they like be like, let's end the series with him on one, you know? He he rides into battle on the back of a giant T-Rex with his yep. electro staff and Oh it's, my god. Uh, <laughs> oh what my if, god. Okay, what if get this? What if Okay, I'm just hypothesizing, like making up this thing. Mm-hmm. You know how we're going to find out in just a few moments, um, product selling feature of this show. Yes. I wonder, akin to Avatar The Last Airbender, if he gets some kind of animal companion that he can ride, i.e. a mythosaur, mm. Appa style, that's super cute, but also terrifying at the same time. So it becomes this new marketing thing and everybody's going to be like, I want a mythosaur toy. I want a mythosaur Funko. I want a mythosaur squishy, you know, pillow or whatever. Like that's going to be like the thing. Oh, definitely. Uh, I could see them doing that. Definitely. We, we record these podcasts actually with Zoom up and Bradley's not going to point it out, but I'm going to. I can actually see behind him his entire shelves. <laughs> it's literally nothing but the Mandalorian and another character who's going to appear later in the episode lined up in these shelves. So I think he has some experience when he says, if they made a Mythosaur Funko Pop, there would be someone who would buy it. Oh, I would be putting that at the center of my display of (laughs) Mando riding things because I have Mando riding a Blurg. I have Mando riding other objects that we'll talk about when those... uh, things happen so i have all kinds of stuff that they reference in the shows and i I think him writing stuff is the new thing i am reminded to an extent of when you would buy the toys because we had like when i was a kid one of the things we had and i do still have it i have all my old star wars toys from when i was a kid they're in Mm -hmm. no condition to sell or display i just have them because i refuse to get rid of them but one of the ones we had was you could get like a rideable bantha you could get like a rideable Reek uh, uh-huh. from Attack of the Clones. You could get like a rideable Dewback. Uh, you could get these rideable things that were designed for you to put your action figures on. Rideable Mythosaur, Disney, when? Right. Oh, well, you just when? need to see one on TV and then it's done. You can make it. That's my big Mandalorian prediction is... Is a mythosaur will show up at some point. Going to show show. up at some point in the show. I think so too. I so let's let's say 2021 in February. We predicted that mythosaur mythosaur shows up. Fast forward to 2024, season four of (laughs) the Mandalorian, and the mythosaur shows up in the series finale. (laughs) 
or or this is the big event that they're teasing with all of the various Ahsoka and Rangers oh yeah Republic. It's the they eventually the do a is, team up at show. At some point in that, they're going to ride. It's going to be the Defenders, but done right this time. Yeah, it's the Defenders, but it's exactly. not terrible. So after they they chat and he learns how to ride one of these blurgs. The Ugnot takes him all the way to this, I guess it's like a base or something where they're keeping the asset protected by a bunch of aliens. Nikto. Uh, are Nikto. specifically the aliens. And it's all one race, which is Right. They're just different colors or something. We've seen the Nikto. We've seen the Nikto work for other groups in various diverse groups the only one we've seen that's comprised entirely of nikto was hondo onaka's crew in mm-hmm. star is wars he a nikto? he is a he is a nikto as well oh okay so so we've seen nikto before he okay i was wondering where we saw them before I, it's just hard they to tell sometimes in java's it... palace and gotcha. on the sail barge sequence yeah, they're like uh, the bad dudes or whatever. The, the bad dudes from Java's Bodyguards or something. Okay, canonically, canonically, though, the most famous named Nikto is Hondo Naka. Hondo, okay. Uh, who we know you is think... banging around at this point right. because he's still banging around between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And I don't see it not happening, but like since they're using him so much in, um, you know, in Disney World uh, for all their rides and stuff, you think he'll ever show up in one of these TV shows? Yes. I don't see why not. I mean, yes. You know, he, he seems like the kind of character that if you if you gotta put somebody in there, you might as well put him in because he's just he's fun. He's yeah, he's a fun a character. Fun. I think he I would actually do well on this show. This kind of like Jack Sparrow sort of yeah pirate. Type. He's essentially the new Jack Sparrow, which is nice. He could definitely show up, you know, either in Mandalorian. I think it's more likely he would show up in either Rangers of the New Republic or Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. You're right. I didn't think of that. But, uh, or Book of Boba Fett. He stands a pretty high chance of oh. showing up in Book of Boba yeah, Fett. Yeah, put him in that show. Perfect. Just put him in all the shows and make sure you get Jim Cummings to voice him because he's clearly, well, yes. clearly he has a lot of fun with the role. Keep the original voice actor, but I don't care who plays him physically. I mean, that could just be anybody, you know. We will discuss the concept of live action characters with different actors here in a few episodes. Right. We're um, getting to that. But we get through these sweeping, beautiful Nat Geo Vista shots and we arrive at the base and we meet IG 11, somehow not immediately dying. <laughs> like you would As he expect approaches. if you're just right. going to walk in and taika um what how do you say his last name taika watiti who watiti. is okay taika watiti who is a uh director who is most famous for you know thor ragnarok at this mm-hmm. point right he has also mm-hmm. directed as far as films people would know jojo rabbit he directed what we do in the shadows as an executive producer on the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows. And he is currently working on the fourth Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder, which we mentioned back in our pilot episode of this podcast as using the volume right. to actually shoot. Yes, and he's hilarious. Um, I think he's that fantastic. somehow he delivers a performance in this show as IG-11 in a way that I don't know anyone else could because it is 
the the puppetry of the IG eleven unit or what robot or whatever it is droid. I the way it moves is so fascinating. I remember and, watching it in the trailer because we saw it in Empire, and, and every iteration move. of it, every iteration of it, you know, is pretty standard human movement. It's mm-hmm. just it's a droid, and right. part of it is because we really only see it in video games. Yeah, it's not. I've never seen it personally do any of the wild crazy stuff uh then you pull out the mandalorian it's like we can see what it can actually do and it, it's yeah. twisting around it's basically like a mobile turret i remember seeing this around. in the trailer and being like that is the coolest thing Blew my i've mind ever seen the trailer because we've never really got to see ig88 from the original um trilogy do anything you know we just know his name and he probably sold a few toys and that was about it he was there and he looked cool yeah he just looked cool watching him move and his head spin and his arms spin and his legs move in like all different directions just being calculated as he marches and he's shooting all these people i mean this shootout scene was the coolest scene no and i definitely it was something that blew me away in the trailer too when i initially saw it and i was like holy crap this is so good yeah the whole scene is amazing this is so amazing yeah and it's a lot of i didn't take a lot of notes as far as this scene goes no because it was just i was just, just because there's it. not yeah. a lot there it's it's fun and that's sort of the essence of stars and that's something that the mandalorian really captured right really very well was at the end of the day you know, is fun like he, he jumps on the turret the mobile turret at one point right and is moving it around but i did think it was interesting I liked how the IG-11 unit wanted to negotiate in the middle of the battle. I thought that was He's funny. like, I literally cannot move if we do not agree upon the <laughs> things. Like, well, I it physically sets up move. a broad difference between, at least in the context of the Mandalorian show, how droids are portrayed versus living creatures. To yes. Where droids are bound by their programming. Right. This is a big thing that's going to come up especially this IG unit bound by its programming. It is bound by its directive. Manufacturer's directive, I must destroy it myself rather than find a way out. And Mando says, no, wait, hold on. Right. We can find a way out of we, this situation. We can do this together. Right. Yeah. Because the, the joke the whole entire time was, oh, I got to blow myself up. Oh, I got to blow myself up. Oh, I got to self-destruct. I can't be held. Ca- I can't be captured. Uh, and I thought about it. I was like, they're not going to try to capture you. They're going to try to kill you. <laughs> How? Like, I think it means, you know, you can't capture the, can't capture the chases for study. Right, right, right. But yeah, I, I definitely thought that it's setting that up in terms of the conflict. So even this fun action scene is still setting up conflicts that's yeah. going to have implications down the line and setting up the dynamics, particularly in the context of this show. Because how everything approaches droids Right. is a little bit different from property to property. How the films do it is a little different from how the animated shows have done it, which is a little different to how Mando has done it. Exactly. And I love, I just love their like duality together. I, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead, so I'm not going to jump, but I wish that they had used him more as like a buddy comedy almost. I felt like he needed to be with Mando for a few more episodes. I felt, yeah, like, we got, I, I I felt was... like we got kind of gypped. I was definitely shocked when 
you know, the ending of this episode happened. Well, okay, here, well, we can, here, we can just talk we'll about that. We'll get to that. I was gonna say, let's get to that point, because I, so they open up the door, they kill all the aliens, they open up the door, and they go inside looking for the asset, because they use their little tracking fob, so we're back to the tracking fob, and they come across some kind of container, so I'm assuming... Now, before that, I wanted to point out that there are a few minor plot holes in this episode, and one that oh. stuck out to me was IG-11 apparently consents for life forms but doesn't realize there's still a Nikto in the room or doesn't say anything about it to Mando. So do you think Do you think that maybe he only was registering the one because the Nikto didn't come into the room until after he had scanned? It is possible. Like, again, with most things in Star Wars, you're not supposed to think about it this That's hard. True. But That's some true. things I noticed, it was like, if this show were less universally liked, people would have complained about these plot holes in this show to the same degree that they do with certain other properties. That was just something I noticed, but they do find the container. Right, which I'm contain- assuming is what the fob is tracking is the container, not inside the container. Well, we see the fob tracking the uh, the guy in the opening scene too. Oh, okay, yeah. So it may be tracking so like maybe DNA. It's DNA somehow, but how would they have the DNA of the thing that they don't have yet? That's an interesting you know, so that's More why I, I think it's... We're going to do some research on the tracking fobs and we are going to come back to that. But don't, don't promise open that. Up the, <laughs> I'm going to do some research on the fobs. All right, you can do, you can and figure out how the tracking fobs work. I'm going to figure out how, the, this is my mission in life. I'm going to figure out how the tracking fobs work. Exactly. So they open up the, the thing and we get probably the coolest twist on established Star Wars lore that I've seen yeah very long time because i think for one second we get a shot that is inside the container looking out so we are what we are inside the container looking at mando and ig 11 um which that first shot gives it away but that first shot you were like what the fuck what what is happening you're like especially someone like me who knows that lucas was famously against revealing anything yes about this and you're like are are they gonna well because actually i think yeah i think when we see okay we see the green ears and we're like wait a minute and then when they finally show his face in the second shot the fuck did did yoda have a child (laughs) what just happened and i've mentioned before that i mentioned in our episode zero this was the big twist that was spoiled for me right and in, in the internet's credit, it took about three or four days for me to actually get spoiled on this. This one, like it took them three or four days before it was actually spoiled for me. But yeah. I remember reading the Twitter feed at work and somebody had mentioned, I went, there is absolutely no way that they did this. Yeah. Well, because it is, it is unbelievable. Because if you think about it, if somebody was trying to, for example, if somebody was trying to trick you, right, and be like, oh, I watched the first Star Wars show the other day, and I, our first live action Star Wars show the other day, and I, guess what happens at the end? They find baby Yoda. I would be like, okay, so you, clearly you didn't watch the episode because you didn't. Clearly you're just making You're just making up. up stuff. It's like when people well. talk about stuff and they're just trying to, you know, bullshit when they don't actually know what they're talking about. It's like, you know, that's, it's the same idea. It's like, oh yeah, I saw Rise of Skywalker and at the end, Luke Skywalker comes back to life and he kills Darth Vader. And it's like, what? No. I actually, <laughs> when I watched Rise of Skywalker for the first time, I actually 
came home and my roommate who had no intention of seeing it uh she just asked me she was like okay so what happens in it exactly and i described some of the things that were in it to her and she went okay no but what really what yeah happened she's in like it? you're making that up <laughs> so it's the same thing with baby yoda it's like they really they really went there but it's so unbelievable it is because it because you wouldn't think that they would on the other hand you know, the minute you see Baby Yoda, and I remember this too, going, yeah. oh, there's no way this thing is like as perfect and adorable and amazing as everyone says it is. And then I saw a GIF of Baby Yoda and I went, it's so cute. I have seen this thing for 10 seconds, but if anything happens to it, I will kill everyone in this room and then myself. Well, speaking of if anything happens to it, uh, Mando and IG-11 are like, oh, we are uh, IG-11 at least is like, oh, I, I have to kill it. And he's like, no, we should bring it in alive, you know, because that's technically what, you know, they told him. They said, Mando, hey, you can bring it in alive. But clearly the robot, they didn't care. So they were like, oh, just kill it when you see just it. Kill it. So they fake us out because we see the blast from the uh, cro- the light flash uh, across Mando's uh, face. And we think, oh my God. <laughs> they just shot Baby Yoda. <laughs> they just shot Baby Yoda. And then we see IG-11 fall down dead, which again, like I said, I wish they would have spent more time with him. Huge, huge twist. Because I was like, I knew they'd cast Taika Waititi. Yeah. Who is a big deal. We now know is making a Star Wars movie after Star Wars, right. uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. I almost said Star Wars, Love and Thunder. Star Wars, Love and Thunder. He's making a Star Wars movie now. Star Wars, Love and Thunder is about Palpatine uh, hooking up with some random woman and having uh, Ray as a grandchild. Um. Uh, so, fun fact, uh, that was, there's going to be bits of Star Wars Underworld that were about Palpatine's love life, and we're just going to leave that. Oh, uh, well. Then now we know what that was about. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was sad. I was really sad because in the trailer, he looks so cool. And then we only get him in this one episode. And I was like, is that it? Is he gone? Is he done? Like, cause for a whole week, we didn't know, you know, it was then, longer than a week. Oh, did they not air a week later after this air? They aired a week later, but we, if IG shows up again, it won't. No, but be I'm saying we would as we assumed like okay, this is just like a fake out kind of death. Like yeah. they're gonna show him repaired in the next episode, again. and they didn't. And so that's they why that's why people going. were like, "What?" I was like, "Damn." That's the thing with these, with particularly the Mandalorian, is is they move at such a fast pace, right? Compared to like all the stuff on all the stuff on Navarro, they they could have found a way to do that as a forty five minute pilot. If it were network television, they might have stretched it out. Yeah. But because the episodes are so short, they're also so dense. There's yeah. a lot going on. There's so a lot things happening. Seem to move, things seem to move very, very, very quickly in these shows. Where in network television, right. maybe they wouldn't move as fast. Or even normal a normal streaming show, they wouldn't move quite so fast. Right. But these are so short that, as, as we could tell from the analysis we've done, there's so much a to lot. look at. Yeah. It's just little things. Just little silly things that you're just like, oh, that's from this. 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 So... But then it's, we get the great. final shot of, of him reaching down. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to our wonderful artwork that we well, see. Well, you know what the final shot is though, right? Uh, the one of him reaching down toward Baby Yoda. I did not get that reference. No. Oh, so is the reference the... is that you see the child 
is reaching up to Mando's finger, referencing uh, Michelangelo's painting, The Creation of Adam. Oh, so they're kind I, of, didn't, their fingers I didn't realize. Are touching. Yeah. I didn't it's like realize a cute little... that was the connection. Right. So now, it's almost like a reverse of that, where right. maybe, maybe Mando would more easily equate to Adam in that. True. Well, but I think the whole reference is that, you know, throughout this show and not to you know spoil anything but he becomes a father figure to baby yoda and so in in creation of adam you know obviously you have god touching adam's fingertip reaching out kind of like a father to a son so because he's his creator Hmm. so it's kind of like an interesting thing there but um yes you're right let me go into the artwork uh directed by dave filoni so now we are already mentioned Right, and then written by John Favreau. Wow, though that team of those two guys, they did such a yeah. good job. I think for the first ever live action Star Wars, they nailed it. I think, and I think having Dave, Dave's kind of knowledge of the universe and what what Lucas was going for filtered through Favreau's experience because yeah. Favreau is a very experienced director, right, and a very experienced creative. Having these two together is just it's a good team i think john has i think john has a good sense of how to make stuff i think he really knows how to envision something write it out and then give it to somebody else to do he knows how to kind of plan for them in a way and i think because this was you know dave's live action directorial debut he, I mean, he had done the cartoons already, but I think, it, you know, cartoons and live action are so different. And so this was kind of a nice little, like, here's the roadmap, take it, and then, you know, you can put your spin on it. And he does. And I think it, they did such a good job of that. And I, I hope they come out with the second episode. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure if they come out with the second episode, we will, we will get to that. I hope they don't, so now uh, that I hope they don't cancel it. <laughs> right so now that we have have looked at the entire first episode real fast before we end today yeah what were your overall thoughts on it as a pilot as a episode of television um as a pilot i thought it did a good job because it establishes the world even though the world's already established um in a sense and I think it also develops Mando's character or sets up his character for his story arc very well. Um, Cause what he's like at the end of the season versus what he's like at the beginning of the season, you know, it's very interesting how they, they're slowly going to start changing his story arc. Um, but he starts off as this, you know, rough and tough guy. So I think they do such a good job of that uh, moving forward, but so I far thought- they did it. Decent job. Yeah, I thought it was a it was a solid enough pilot. Uh, it's a pilot that's clearly not intended to stand on its own. So yeah. it's a it's a pilot where they clearly intend that you're going to keep watching after it, and they know it. The job isn't really to hook you, like you would see like with a pilot for network television. Right. Uh, yeah. There's there's no real B plot. There's kind of a C plot with the one scene with the the blurgs where he learns to ride the blurg. Uh, it it sets up the show with a confidence that viewers are going to tune in next week yes so i think it's interesting it's not a pilot i would teach if i were writing a tv pilot class oh i see if (laughs) if i were teaching that i probably wouldn't show this pilot and say no i wouldn't either because a good example of a pilot 
but for the specific show and the expectations surrounding it, right. I think it does a good job of setting up where we're going. Yeah, I think for having such high expectations for this show, I think most people did, um, especially when they saw that trailer. I think they did a good job of meeting the expectations and then setting up expectations for later on because they kept that baby Yoda thing a secret, which is nearly impossible to do. That's amazing. Considering the entire plot of Rise of Skywalker leaked online like a few days before the movie premiered. And like, we've had whole plots of movies leaked. We have stuff leaked all over the place. Yeah, I just don't understand things that I'm frankly shocked that did not leak in the Mandalorian. And one of them is baby Yoda. Zero people. Nobody knew baby Yoda was coming. Yeah. That is insane. I mean, there must've been some kind of major ass penalty for knowing about baby Yoda because, or they shot that last scene with a select few people. Well, they shot the whole season first. So that's amazing. It reminds me of that time. Yeah. They, they, they had the whole seat. They had the whole season done. Before they had they it done. released it. Interesting. I'm okay, reminded. Well then, yeah. I am reminded of that time. One, the time that Disney bought Lucasfilm and nobody knew it was coming. Yeah. But I'm also reminded of that time that it was Beyonce, I think, once dropped an entire album. Right. Complete with music videos, literally out of nowhere, onto iTunes, and not a single person that was involved in any of these music videos ever leaked it no one knew it was coming sometimes there's these moments where it's like it just comes out of nowhere and it's great right well i think that's all for this episode what about you i think we are good on this episode front and we will be back with uh the second episode next week um but I think I think we have largely analyzed the. We have now spent collectively. I don't know what it's going to come down to in editing. Twice, almost three times as long as the episode itself discussing it. Right. Hey, that's what happens when you dive deep into these Star Wars shows. There's just so much. That's there. what happens. And well, you know, as I say, you know, gay men love to talk. Star Wars fans love to talk. It is natural that combining the two would lead to a lot of talking. Exactly. Well, I don't know about you, but I have spoken. I have spoken. Bye.